Hi, guys. Welcome back to my show, my Steps to Sobriety. Indeed, you have heard right. We have changed our name into the light, a different life story. Uh, was a beautiful, beautiful uh, title for my show. And it is indeed what we do. We offer hope. We, we all have lived, pretty much every single one of my guests has lived in the darkness. And our journey is into the light. And we live a very different life. So I thought that title was really so good. But no one can find us. So no, 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 no. We need to go back to the earlier version and the original uh, title of the show, My Steps to Sobriety. Although our show will not change. We will address the reason why people try to escape their reality. And I want to give you the power to see that whatever is happening in your life, it is a wave. It is a temporary thing. The past does not equal the future. You have got the power to change. And that is what this show is all about. Okay. So my show will not, my show will not change, but the title has changed my steps to sobriety. And with that new title uh, comes new, new guests. And I've got a, a beautiful lineup. And today I'm dead proud to have uh, Dylan Lundgren with me. Dylan is a man who, like me, has been in the darkness in the past and has transformed uh, like a phoenix rising out of the ashes. Uh, whilst this is a cliche, literally, it's true for all of us. So uh, Dylan and me have planned to talk about recovery from addiction, recovery and true sobriety and what that really means. And let's talk about the hard things that will happen, the relapses. Let's talk about long-term outcomes. Let, what has allowed Dylan and me to be at this point many years down the line? Why have we not relapsed? Or shall I say, how have we dealt with our relapses? Because uh, most of us have. So let's not be silly here. So Dylan, thank you so much for coming on to my show. Thank you, Stefan. It's mm. great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with you and connect with your community here. And I'm really excited about this, this topic of going into, into the light, as, as you put it, mm. you know, really, really transforming this sense of despair that so many people are struggling with and having an experience of moving through that and moving to a better place in life is, is such, such an important thing for me. And I know mm. it is for you too. So mm. I'm excited to talk more about this, how it's been possible for us, and even more importantly, how we can help other people to move in the same direction. Hell yes. About eight years ago, I was sitting in my garage, drunk like a skunk, couldn't string two sentences together in the evening and bawling my eyes out literally crying like a little baby because the pain was so big and in my heart it the, the anger the frustration at that night had changed into complete sadness worthlessness helplessness the true dark night of the soul if you want to use the metaphor from filming and I was there and it was one of the darkest times in my life. Mm. Yet, here I am nowadays, such a different man. That is a classic story for 
those of us who have persevered. Do you have a similar story with uh, some dark nights of the soul in the past with you? For sure. What was your background? Where did you, well, let's, let's start positive. When you were younger, um, when did you start drinking? When did you start using? So what's interesting about my experience is I didn't start drinking until I was, I believe, 19 years old, which is a little unique for, for people that struggle with addiction. And I actually didn't, didn't want to start drinking because I saw what it, what it did to my grandfather, who, who had some issues with alcoholism. And I had an uncle who was involved in some drugs, and we believe that led to his early, early passing away. I had this resistance to, to drinking. That being said, I felt very uncomfortable in my own skin. So when I had the first drink, it was like an instant solution to some, some of my problems. Of course. You know, and, and that led to the dark night of the soul, as you put it. <laughs> Numerous dark nights of the soul, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And I can remember the first bus I got. Like you, I actually started mm. late. I only started when I went into university. And oh, I wow, remember okay. so you're yeah. not the only one. No, no not at all. Not at all. Um, and it was just, I was so focused on martial arts and my sport uh, when I was uh, younger. There was really, no, the alcohol didn't give anything to me. But then I remember we were, we were sitting in a beer garden, quite romantic. So it was actually really beautiful. Two friends. We had a beer, I think, and I didn't really like it too much, the beer. And I, by the end of a German beer. German beer is a liter. Okay, it's a Stein. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's yes, a, and it's it's yeah. not the, the the weak hearted kind of stuff. It's it's five yeah. six seven percent. So yeah. by the end of that Stein, I was, I had this dopamine rush, and I remember that very very well. It was such a beautiful setting. The friendship around me, the laughter, the the your shoulders releasing your. Here, there was no more pressure, no more anxiety. There was no more nothing. And it was, it was, fuck, get, get goosebumps thinking of it. Yeah. See, there was yeah. such a powerful reaction then. And here it is. What is that? That is, oh, too long ago. Yeah, more than quarter of a century. And still there is, there's the physical reaction of remembering how good that felt. That is how strong addiction is, guys. That is what happens. So mm. I remember that. And that memory was really, really beautiful. So was that similar to you? So you had this, oh yeah. Uh. Definitely. Mm. You know, for the first time in my life, I could, I could feel okay. I could feel confident. I could feel like I could walk up to a, a woman I was attracted to and talk to her without being, <laughs> you know, spun out in my head. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Shy. And then by your laugh, I'm guessing you can relate. <laughs> hell yes hell yes hell uh, yes. and it was and it became it became a powerful weapon because it was relaxing me suddenly i didn't care that i can't sing so well and that my guitar skills are not really so great your guitar comes out and you sing from the heart and it's like moths to a flame women just come to the campfire and, and it's just it is what it is so it is alcohol was a powerful ally for me in the start. And it it served 
a very good purpose. And I considered it a friend. There were so many advantages for me in my early 20s with alcohol. The problem, of course, is that you only focus on that. And how did you, what was your your background when you were prior to alcohol? Were you a a mature young man? Did Did you ever come across, I don't know, role models that taught you mindfulness, that taught you how to deal with negative emotions? Was there anything like that happening in your youth? There was to an extent. And when you say maturity, Emotional, emotional, emotional emotional maturity maturity. I'm talking about. That would be, no. So on the outside, I looked very mature. What I mean by that is I was the captain of the wrestling team. I was in very good shape. I was on the honor roll, which just means like, you know, straight A's pretty much. Uh, Really good grades most of the time. Uh, You know, I didn't get in any trouble. So on the outside, it looks like I was doing really well. I was mm. voted the scholar athlete of my class. There was uh, one male and one female. So I was voted the scholar athlete of my class. However, yeah. this was around the same time that I started to think about suicide and was experiencing depression. And so there, there was this big disconnect between how I felt on the inside and what I looked like and what was going on on the, on the outside. And for me, the, the alcohol helped to mitigate that, you know, the alcohol really helped to, to solve that, you know, in, in the short term. And as far as role models, I had some pretty good teachers, one in particular that I always have thought about since, since that time, this is almost 20 years ago. Uh, and the reason why I think about this specific health teacher is because he, talk about, he talked about life in a way that seemed to be based in reality. And what I mean by that is at this time, when I was in high school struggling with these things, I'd go into a classroom and I'd learn about calculus or algebra, and maybe I'd get a straight A on the test, but I would leave and go home with absolutely no idea on how to deal with my emotions, how to deal with these suicidal thoughts, had no idea why I even felt that way. Why does it look like no one else feels that way? Does anyone else feel that way? So this health teacher would touch on these things a little bit, but then most of my life was not open to this type of exploration or discussion. So I had these bits of light, you know, these little bits of hope, but I had no way to integrate them or really build on them. So to answer your question, it would be mostly no. There wasn't really, you know, a lot of good parents and upbringings. Uh, However, once I found the alcohol, it was was a much more (laughs) compelling solution <laughs> of course and and of course there was the 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 typical masculinity there i'm strong i'm the captain of the right. team all that all so that. you can't yeah. just open up and say you know today i feel really a little bit down and out mm-hmm. and actually you know last night i thought about taking my life there's <laughs> no way you would yeah. ever 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 say right. that you're you're embarrassed even if you if you make the the the, the smallest mistake was there was there yes. quite a competitive side to you was there a kind of toxic masculinity at play or was it a healthy masculinity as far as you see yourself i think it was you know the way that i expressed my masculinity at that time i think was healthy in the sense that i was respectful and i wasn't when i would go into a wrestling match I wanted to compete. I wanted to be in good shape. I wanted all these things, but I was going about it respectfully. I wasn't 
trying, awesome. but awesome. the toxicity in it was more internal. So yeah. the toxicity for me was where it was coming from in myself. The reason why I wanted to be so good at wrestling, a lot of that had to do with, I didn't feel good enough. And I really believed that if I got to be a state championship wrestler, mm. then a state champion wrestler, then I would feel good enough. These feelings of, of depression and suicidal ideation would finally go away. Mm. If only I could achieve blank, get the girl, be a state champion wrestler or whatever. So in that sense, that's where the toxicity was for me. Yeah. And it's, so spooky how common this these ideas are um the, the if you look at statistics and of course you, you can find a statistic for anything but the the depression there is at least one in three in a lifetime as a prevalence and wow, you're talking that. yeah, That's a lot. yeah one in three and it is so therefore it's one thing to actually to expect yet no one no one really talks about it these mental health problems remain a taboo for many many people and it's not for nothing that we here in new zealand have got the highest teen suicide rate uh, in the oecd uh, and it is it rips my heart out but at the same token if i look back i was that insecure youngster i was that 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 person who could not deal with any negative emotions because i certainly had wrong role models and those people those men that were in my life can't really say that they were men how i would judge nowadays a man with integrity humility etc it was all shallow and and superficial and and the the wrong the wrong rules to live by it's not an excuse why i went into alcohol the alcohol was purely because it helped me with my anxiety and the feeling of not, as you say, my self-worth was down there somewhere. Yeah. And that yeah, the alcohol was a powerful weapon to, to help me not feeling like that. And I think that is the, that is the key. So here we are. We both are, we are super, super responders to dopamine. We both mm -hmm. had this bus. We both felt invincible. That's hard to beat. That's that it is. <laughs> yeah. So how did the story continue with you? How long was alcohol a friend? And when did it become not so friendly to you? It was gradual. It was gradual. That almost the, the image that I see in my mind is a boomerang that you know mm. slowly comes back. Mm. And this, this friend slowly started to become an enemy of sorts, but it, it was gradual. Mm -hmm. And long before I realized I had an issue or it was a problem for me, I think it, it was a problem long before I realized it was mm -hmm. what I'm getting at. You know, even now, when I, when I think back to starting to, to drink and starting drinking in college, I remember drinking in my room alone. You know, numerous times um, and I didn't see a problem with it but now I do those types of things where I was starting to use it as medicine not even as a as a way to socially connect or as a nice thing to do it was becoming an essential part of, of who I was and so over the course of years it led to other substances which led to me seeking out more of that dopamine which led to 
getting arrested and ending up in jails and led to overdoses. It just spiraled. But unfortunately, by that time, and I'm sure you, you're aware of this, by the time that we realize it's a problem, oftentimes the hooks of that addiction are, are in pretty deep. It's not so easy to just stop for physical reasons or for psychological reasons. So it took a few years you know, for that, that shift to happen, but it wasn't one day it was good. And next day it was bad. It was, it was gradual. So by that time you were living alone. Um, you, how were your parents involved? Did they have an inkling that things were not right with you? Good question. They, they too had a similar response in the sense that they had a gradual response. So mm -hmm. given that I was the scholar athlete, I don't think they were as likely to accuse me or to think something mm. was wrong because I had always done so good, right? I'd always done so good in the term, in terms of getting good grades and not getting in trouble. And, you know. However, when I start getting arrested and I get arrested more than once, it becomes pretty obvious mm. there's a problem. And the way they responded was to try to talk to me and offer support, but eventually mm. it got to the point where they had to make a choice and I couldn't live there anymore unless I wanted to get help. And, and it was still a little while after that before I got help. So there was a period of time where they, they somewhat disowned me and, and, and I don't disagree with that. I think they made the right choice for their own well being and to, mm -hmm. to set loving boundaries, you know, um, <laughs> and we will come to that. Hard. Oh, yeah. hell yes. Hell yes. Uh, it is. Uh, My wife was many a times thinking about uh, taking the kids and, and leaving um, because she had three years of, of sobriety to, to a degree, white knuckling sobriety, as I call it, um, where she was managing to stop drinking, uh, not having, having dealt with the underlying reasons, with her own insecurities, with her own anxieties, etc. But nevertheless, because she had she had stopped drinking, she had swung the pendulum the other way uh, from heavy drinking towards a virtuous, uh, very. Uh, um, there was only one focus for me to stop drinking, and needless mm -hmm. to say, that ended up in many rows and many fights, etc. So, was there support there in my life? Yes because she did not run away. She actually was on my back. And when it all came crashing down, she was there for me. She organized an admission behind my back to a rehabilitation hospital. So, mm. uh, but the boundaries were so important because they were a bit mixed. I think that is something that right. come back to a yeah. bit later. The, the boundaries yeah. for, for the loved ones need to be very clear it's so easy to become uh codependent and to support actually the addict out of the meaning of of trying to help them and that is uh, yeah that Definitely. certainly isn't it but we'll come to that so there you were duis or um selling or what was the what were ironically, the ironically no duis which is surprising because there was numerous times that I had been arrested or pulled yeah. over where alcohol was involved and I had been driving, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, no, but numerous arrests for possession, for yeah. being in school zones, for 
you know, hmm. a, a bunch of different things along those lines, hmm. you know, no, consequences of my addiction. Hmm. Yeah. How, and when you were confronted with the authorities, were there people amongst the authorities who did not treat you like a, a lawless person and rather as a patient? Was there already a change in the attitude or were you just a nasty piece of garbage that we have to throw into jail? My experience was there was respect at first. It, was, it felt like a grace period. But granted, I grew up in the same town. Uh -huh. So it might have been different if I didn't, you know, people, people yep. knew me to an extent and you know, not, not everybody, but they knew like, this is a kid who just came out of high school. He was doing good. You know, they, they had some sense of that. However, that changed because I kept breaking the law and I kept hanging around with kids that were younger than me and I'm using drugs and I'm, I'm a, you know, not a good influence. So I, I understand to an extent why this shift happened on their end. I don't mm -hmm. think it was stigma so mm -hmm. much as it was we gave this kid a chance and gave him some leniency and respect, and it's not working. Mm -hmm. So now we have to be hard on him, which. But it was, it was, I mean, we are talking 20 years ago. So there was a different yeah. attitude then yes. towards yes. addicts. Yes. Um, it was still a, very much a law enforcement issue rather than a disease. Right, right, right. Good point. Mm. Yeah, very good point. So, and, and unfortunately, these attitudes have not necessarily changed. They, they change in some circles, but just as much as mental health, depression, PTSD, all these things still remain cliches or taboos in the worst case, it's the same with addiction. Um, the, the difference between hating addiction and hating the addict is non-existent in some circles. And that is, that is what I'm trying to find out. Were there early, early movements that actually said, yeah, no jail, but you have to go into rehab. Did any, any judge or any, any, any person in power guide you into that direction? Yes. Yes, they did. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Because had that not happened, I'm not sure. Had that not been an option, I don't think I would be here. Who knows? You know, I believe in a, in a higher power and that's my, mm. my faith. So it's totally possible. My life could have turned out just as good or better had I gone a different direction. However, you know, my direction was to get help through the court system and have an option, mm. jail or rehab. And, and for me, having that option uh, was really important because choosing rehab, even though I didn't want to go to rehab, I did not want to go to jail. And choosing rehab gave me an opportunity to see possibility that I haven't seen that ha had not seen before. So very grateful for that. And to answer your question, yes, yes, that was an option for, for me. Really pleased. Yeah. The first rehab that you ended up in, how did that go? What was the flair of that? I mean, I say flair, what was the attitude? What was the the setting of that rehab, may I ask? Well, the first experience was pretty brutal. Because I, I got there on a, on a Friday, I had, I didn't necessarily want to stop drinking at that point. <clears throat> I just wanted to stop the, the pain and the consequences of drinking. So I had drank between the time we decided to go in, into treatment, we meaning my parents who were, who were 
supporting me and getting there and paying for it between the time we made that decision and the time I was getting into treatment was uh, a few days in that period of time. I, I believe I drank again. I just remember showing up feeling like crap hungover, didn't sleep at all. I don't think, you know, I have to go to this group on like an early Friday morning after checking in and they don't want me to sleep till that night. So I'm like, uh, I don't know anybody yet. So it was a brutal awakening, you know? And that being said, uh, I started to notice after the fog lifted that people are happy here. And they were kind of like a, a tribe. Uh-huh. You know, a group, a community, uh-huh. which the last time I experienced that was with sports, you know, wrestling or football. But it had been, a, you know, been a couple of years and I hadn't experienced that. But here was something that wasn't high school. Here was something that wasn't sports and yet still had that sense of being connected to something bigger than myself. So that started to dawn on me, you know, and that was that was the beginning of a transformation. Just that that seed being planted. That was the beginning of something that would grow uh, for you know, it's been 17 years now, you know, and still growing. Uh, so in that sense, it was, it was very eye-opening. However, that didn't go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm really pleased that, that this was your first experience and it truly was the same experience for me. So we two Mm -hmm. are maybe not the lucky ones. You should expect that nowadays, you should expect that a good treatment program does exactly show you this hope. Having said yes. that, I've had yes. uh, when I got admitted on a Friday, um, there in that intake there were um, three other uh, inmates uh, who came in with me, and uh, one of them was a girl who I don't know how many how many rehabs she had done before. One of them was court mandated, and so she ended up in the South Island of, of New Zealand from memory, and she. Uh, and actually ended up for nine months in what I can only describe as slave labor camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was ending up on a large farm and her rehabilitation considered of, of plucking peppers and zucchini uh, from fields all day long uh, is wow. forbidden to drink and had, I think, two or four uh, hours of treatment of of someone coming in and chatting with them how are you doing um and that was the rehabilitation and after nine months she got out and the very first thing she did went straight for a bar (laughs) (laughs) well exactly so that that went by as as a as a rehab program and that's the problem i remember one of the first Mm -hmm. aa courses Uh, so as part of rehab we had to go to uh not just the, the rehab facility we were in but actually two AA meetings out about in town to introduce us that that here this is the community that is out there and I remember sitting in one of these AA groups and they were sort of the the typical AA people if I say so people who are in recovery who want to give back uh there's this whole range of people then there were sort of the four of us sitting there on one one side of the, the room and sort of listening in and on the other side of the room were five six young people women uh, in their 20s 30s and one of them she was like that mm-hmm. and i sort of asked the guy who had accompanied us 
what's the story? And he said, yeah, that's court mandated. That's, that's basically uh, that's, people. That's the difference. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So and... I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, this glowering. Yeah. Oh dear. Oh dear. I hope this woman has, has come around to, to see a proper recovery. Definitely. Uh, oh, Definitely. That is, that is that's my just only pain, wish. You know, that's just I know. pain and yeah. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard. Was there pain for me? Shit, yeah. Shit, yeah. Um, at the same token, uh, the competitive guy in me uh, took it on as a challenge. Um, I have I have succeeded in so many things in my life that I will succeed in that. I will become the poster boy of sobriety. I'm going to be the man. I'm going to do it yeah. all in four weeks. They think we go After to step recovery. four. That's right. That's right. I, yeah. I clutch. We do all the 12 steps in four weeks. I'm right. three weeks. Mm-hmm. going to be finished tomorrow. Yeah. That was my attitude when I started. Yeah. <laughs> and oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Uh, how did you go into any delirium or did you go into any withdrawal? Um, was your, your habit this strong that you actually ended up in trouble to start off with? Yeah. Yeah. I had, I, towards the end, I was drinking uh, about a liter of vodka every day. Oh. Welcome so, to the club. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, vodka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so the physical withdrawal was definitely a real thing. But yeah. more, even more than that, the emotional withdrawal uh, uh. Was, was the hardest. I mean, there was things coming up I didn't even know I could experience. Because <laughs> at this point, like my, my emotional radar was, was numb or angry. And that was it. I, I, you know, up to that point where I came into sobriety or into recovery, all I had were those two emotions, you know, it'd been years since I felt good. You know, I felt good at the beginning of drinking and using mm-hmm. drugs, but then it just turned into numbing things out mm-hmm. or being so angry at something um, that I would have these anger outbursts. But those are the only two things. So when I detoxed and went through withdrawal, I started to experience mm-hmm. all types of emotions, sadness, beauty, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and some darker stuff. The depression was still there for a period, you know, and but I, the the spectrum of life started to show up again. I started to experience that again. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that. For me, that took much much longer to to materialize. I think those those kind of normal uh, a normal spread of emotions that would have been many weeks, maybe even many months down the line, I must say. Although my drinking career had been longer than yours, I must have been, you know, drinking more or less heavily for a good two decades, um, with times of sobriety in between, but uh, not sobriety of not drinking in between, let's call it like that, Um, because there is a big, big difference living a life full of happiness and contention and and being being truly feeling good about yourself loving yourself these kind of things that had i had no clue what that even meant uh these were empty words for me so throughout all that journey no that's cool very very much can relate to that isn't it so was it a four-week program that you were in or was it longer so the, the treatment program I went into, I actually went into it twice. So that first time that you asked about, I had cleaned up a little bit. I got a taste of, of recovery. I liked it, but I didn't really know if I was an alcoholic or an addict, you know. So I didn't really think I necessarily had to stop drinking completely. 
<laughs> so I did a little experiment. I failed the experiment. <laughs> yeah. Ended oh, up shit. back there. Yeah. yeah. Ended up back there. But one thing about it was, it was, oh, it was clear that this was the place to be this treatment uh, center. Uh, so when that, when I failed the experiment, yeah. I realized I, you know, I've got to get back there and I did. And I stayed for almost a year. So, so the program itself was anywhere from four weeks to maybe 12 weeks. And people would stay, you know, an average, probably about six weeks. I think I stayed for maybe eight weeks. And then they had a, an extended care, like a sober living program. Mm -hmm. And so I did that for another maybe eight or 10 months. And then mm -hmm. I became a staff member at the treatment center and worked there for years and got the opportunity to build the program. And like, oh, beautiful. you know, it was really cool. Beautiful. And that's not an uncommon story, isn't it? That is that that once you get your head straight again and, and you actually develop into this new person, you are you're you're coming to crossroads constantly. And one of them is what am I going to do with my life now? And and oh, typically right. the plans that you had previously, they somehow don't seem to be valid anymore and they don't seem to be right. So and in mm -hmm. my treatment program, uh everyone in that treatment program, everyone who influenced me, the from the nurses to the yoga teacher to to everyone, they were all addicts they were all previously in the dark place like where i had been not right now and that was beautiful that was that was wow you're kidding me because these people were different they loved they truly loved they yeah. held jobs they they were really really good <laughs> yeah you know they had cars they and, paid like, their insurance <laughs> yeah something like that yeah, they, yeah. Uh, and you think huh so that's possible, huh? Um, because you don't know. Where when you when you relapsed, was there a lot of shame and guilt there? Oh yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. It was, and it became fuel to keep to, to keep the party going. Uh, exactly. You know, so so there wasn't a lot of I didn't have a lot of self acceptance yeah. acceptance. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of discussion around these deeper issues yeah. yet. So when I had that shame and, and regret, I just assumed it was real. And it was, you know, all the stories in my head about me being a failure. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just assumed they were real. So I just, you know, what kept me going was ending up back in jail and getting arrested and, you know, having that option again to do jail or rehab. You know, that's what brought that facilitation and that intervention about it again. Yeah. Sometimes you need that. When I say sometimes, guys, listeners, viewers out there, what do you think? What is the chance of going to a really good rehab program, getting everything right, being here? What do you think about your chances of a relapse in the first year? Hmm. I'll give you the answer. 80%. 80% of us will relapse. And that is just how powerful the disease of addiction is, of alcoholism is. And the question is, how do we deal with that? Because it's very likely that it happens. And see, I had set myself up to fail because I was this go-getter. No, no, I will beat it. I'll do all the 12 steps now and then I'm clean. It's the same like you say you go twice to the gym and now I'm going to be healthy for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't work. Um, but in my 
skewed mind, I could achieve anything, but I didn't appreciate whatsoever that four weeks in rehab is only the start. It's only the, the, the first step in, in that journey that goes for the rest yeah. of my life. How yeah, did you deal with that? Bit. So you basically, you went, you kept parting until, until ultimately uh, someone else said enough now, uh, in this case, exactly. the law. Yeah. Um, for me, it was, I was, I was lucky. Um, I fell off the wagon. I had a night of drink. And the next morning I woke up and I was petrified and I was shamed, I was guilt-ridden. And my wife walked into the bedroom, sat down. I think she, she, she laid down next to me, gave me a hug and said, I love you. What happened? Why did it happen? Tell me. And it was that kind of, hang on. You're not giving me the third degree. This is not just another third world war row. Um, this is, she said, I love you and, and let's learn from it. How did that happen? What, what, what went on in your head? And that was probably the first time that I truly appreciated the power of HALT. Um, H-A-L-T is, is something that, that most of us are learning in, in recovery. The hungry, the angry, the lonely, the tired. These are four different things and permutation of it. But if if I am literally hungry, if I am dehydrated, if my body is hunger, hungering for the right oh, things that it needs to survive, if I'm lonely, if I'm angry, if I've worked again far too much, <laughs> four of them in the first year, and I would have mm. killed for a bottle of wine. Okay. Yeah. Three. Uh, there was a strong urge there. Two, I felt uncomfortable. That's how powerful that was. The physiology, yeah, well isn't it? So, I mean, did you experience that? How, how, how do you, how did your body, um, what were the cues for you to tempt you? Very, very similar. You know, the, the HALT thing's a great acronym. And, and this actually is backed up by, by science too. You know, something I've been studying is, the effect of nutrition on recovery. And what I was taught recently was that when, when blood sugar falls low, it can create an adrenaline spike in response to the blood sugar dropping low, which can create all types of, of emotions associated with relapse, anxiety, stress, anger, stuff like this. Exactly. You know, so to have like regular protein, to have mm. enough rest, you know, things like this can really, really make it make it a much easier go of it, if not make it more likely to, to stay sober, you know? So a lot of the same things, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's a universal thing, really. And if you think about it, why is that? Because it's a fight and flight response. The physiology that is hardwired into the deepest reptilian brain. This is, we are not talking about emotions. We are talking about something that's well, down there, deep, deep, Primal. deep in down there. Yeah. You can't do anything about it. It is pure survival of your body. And that is where these kind of, uh, of uh, floods of, uh, of stress hormones come in, the adrenaline, the cortisol, etc. And they then change your, your focus. You need to have yeah. something because you need to go. Because otherwise, if you, if you don't drink, 
water, that is in this case. If you don't drink water, well, you die in a few days. Um, if you don't eat, well, you probably die in a few weeks. Um, so here you go. And if you don't sleep, well, again, you're toast in five days. So your body knows that. And it tries to, to arouse you. And it tries to tell you something. The problem is what we addicts then perceive is really much the, the wrong message. It doesn't say, go to the bottle shop and get another bottle of vodka. So that's what we hear. That's what that's what our addictive yeah. brain hears. <laughs> and it, it can feel like we're going to die if we don't give in to it. That's an interesting thing. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And it is, yeah. that is where you, the urges can be so powerful. So strong it's, at times. Yeah. Exactly. It is exactly so. And it is, so therefore, if you are in that boat right now where you actually have just relapsed, Welcome to the fold. Welcome to the club. Um, <laughs> exactly. That is normal. So you have done it. Cool. That's you've learned from it. You've, you've done an experiment and it didn't work out. That's what experiments all about. You try to figure out what works and what has happened there. Oh, that's interesting. So make a note. Don't beat yourself up. Just make a note and say, her, what did I do leading up to that? And it's. And I would true. also add to that. Sorry, go ahead, Stefan. You go for it. Well, I'd also add to that, that if you're thinking about doing the experiment, you don't necessarily have to, right? Uh -huh. So sometimes relapse is, is a part of our journey and it doesn't have to be, right? So this, it's not an opportunity to shame ourselves if we go down that road. It's an opportunity to learn and get back on track if that's what we desire. At the same time, addiction can be tricky. It's a very cunning, you know, a cunning foe and get you open a lot of different thoughts. So if you're thinking like, oh, I might need to do this experiment, right? I would, I would encourage you to think again, because there's things that can make, that can make us feel yeah. just as good, if not better than the next drink. Right. And the next drink can make us feel a lot worse than mm. we thought it would. Right, right Over there, you. my steps to sobriety. Yeah, yeah. That is, there might what be you see? something there. Yeah. <laughs> my steps to sobriety, that is, that was the first version that I've taken off the market because we are re-releasing it in a second, more, more mature version, expanded version. And uh, But in there, I'm talking uh, quite in depth about the relapse in its own right. And really, relapse is not what happens when you walk into the bottle shop and buy that bottle and drink it there and then. Relapse starts off days and weeks beforehand. And it starts typically with you letting your guard down. You are no longer looking after yourself as much as you have been. The halt does no longer become a warning for you. You just neglect it and get on with life. You're no longer looking after your, your work-life balance, all these kind of things. So things start mounting up. And there's this, this, this saying, if you don't work on your recovery, you're working on your relapse. And that's, that's unfortunately something that many of us have to realize the hard way. So it, is, it starts much, much earlier at a subconscious level. And it, those of us who are successful in the long term, we recognize that. We recognize that that you have to, to do the mindfulness, that you have to, to look after yourself, literally, and keep loving yourself. 
And if there's, there are things that you don't like, then you address them in, in a productive way. You don't run away from things, these kind of things. So uh, a relapse is is not just you hitting the bottle. There's more to that prior to that, the build up, And a good, a good mentor, a good uh, counselor, a good uh, life coach will, will teach you that, will work with you to actually let you recognize that. But if it has just happened, brilliant. I'm really pleased for you. Um, the old saying that that uh, Thomas Alpha Edison uh, did 2,000 experiments that all failed until he finally got the light bulb sorted. Um, that's so true. I'm not sure if it's 1,000 or 2,000 or 10,000. It doesn't matter. You get the idea. Uh, it is you need to fail in order to know what is winning. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you learn. And that's a beautiful thing. I actually, in competitions, well, I actually don't mind losing. I don't mind getting coming home with the wooden spoon um, because it showed me, uh, okay, I have a lot to learn. It, it humbles me and it's, it's, I have no problem with that, actually. So I invite you to do the same in that competition of life. If you're losing in that particular match, welcome. <laughs> Fair yeah. call. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's a, one of my mentors would say that the process of recovery is a process of discovery, you know, discovering ourselves and discovering the world. Sometimes for the for the first time ever, you hmm. know, some of us have have discoveries that come about of things that we we forgot or, or you know we come to remember, and other times it's like we literally have an, a new life that's being given to us. And you know, one one way I look at this is. Part of that is having other people in our circle, trusted people in our circle, who can mirror things back to us in a way that can empower us and also challenge us. It's like if I'm looking, you know, one, one psychoanalyst said, we can't see the center of our own back, but other people can mirror things back to us. Just like if I wanted to see the center of my own back, I'd have to have a mirror, you know, like two mirrors, right, mm -hmm. to see it. And it's a similar thing with the, with the psyche. So this process of recovery is really coming to discover ourselves. And like you were talking about bringing up that, bringing it, shining a light on some of the subconscious reasons why we go to this place, why we go to this dark place and really bringing that up to conscious awareness so we can integrate it. So it no longer has so much power over us and can just catch us, you know, blindside us. You know, that's, that's where some of this discovery really comes in handy. You know, self-awareness piece so yeah I'm, uh, I'm on board with you stefan yeah. <laughs> and and of course i mean that is that is if you look at my show if you were to go onto youtube and look at the, the various channels on my show you see all kind of things yes there is something about addiction somewhere but there is lots about sexual abuse and toxic relationships there's lots about depression and anxiety there's ptsd um these are the reasons why we want to escape reality so only to focus on your drinking or you're not drinking and neglecting all the reasons what we are talking about here is you're setting yourself up to fail and that's i think the key thing because i i saw on quora uh, someone asked me a question um why do people um still go to 12 step programs when it's clear they don't work and i thought that's a weird one 
And I sort of said, mm. and I sort of started working or writing an answer there and uh, comparing programs. But already we guys have given you the answer to that question. A good program, regardless what skills it teaches you and how it goes about things, if it only focuses on on you not drinking and not addressing the reasons behind it and guiding you down the line to address them, then this program will fail. There's very little doubt in my mind. Um, so people who fail in programs, regardless if it is 12 steps or, or other programs, which there are so many around, they, they get not guided in the right way or they refuse to address those truly painful steps, their, their relationships when they were children uh, with their parents, their, their insecurities, their depression, their anxiety, all these kind of things. So it is so much more. So if I think it's, it's very hard to make blanket statements like that. In the first statement, the first sentence, however, I wrote was actually, you're wrong. That is, there is not such a huge failure rate. On the contrary, um, nowadays with good programs, regardless how they are, they are set up, you can actually pretty much expect to get clean if you do the work. If you listen to those people who have been there, done that, and who guide you. Would yeah. you agree? Definitely, definitely. That's a huge huge opportunity to find the people who have gotten to the place where we want to be. Mm. And that's a big part of what's missing in my opinion is this, this lack of discernment because there's so many resources being mm. put out there and there are so many ways to walk this path of recovery. However, not everyone necessarily is walking it or has gotten over the hump, so to speak. And I think having that awareness and having that discernment of where do I want to be and who's actually gotten there, not who's telling me how to get there, not who's saying how to get there, but who has actually gotten there. Because it's like the difference between the map and the terrain, right? Someone can read a map and tell you about it, but unless they've walked the terrain, they don't necessarily know where the pitfalls are. Uh -huh. And so that's a, yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's, you know, having that experience with others who are walking that path and have gotten there is really important. Hmm. Yeah. for those people who are great drinkers out there who are just sort of getting the idea uh maybe the bottle of vodka is just maybe a tad much um if they still have enough neurons ticking up there and say okay i'll choose the best program um and if they were to ask you should i go 12-step-based programs, or should I go more science-based programs, or is there life ring? I'm a woman, women in recovery, um, mm. smart recovery. Um, tell me, what is the best recovery program? What would you answer? Right. How would you go about it? Well, it's an interesting question. You know, the best program is whatever works for you, and, and being able to figure that out huh. is not an act of, of solidarity. Being able to figure that, figuring that, answering that question uh -huh. comes down to having trusted people uh -huh. in your life, either currently or finding them, uh -huh. who can help you to answer that question. Uh -huh. 
is if you're suffering from addiction, chances are your thinking is not going to be completely in line with reality. And making that decision on your own as far as what's best mm. to get into recovery, it may not be what's best. And we'll have some some support around that. That being said, uh, you know, I'm a fan of 12 steps and and but I'm also not a fan of saying that that's the way everyone should do it. You know, but one thing I do find that's similar across the board is having access to some transformational experience that's grounded in something bigger than my life had been up to that point, whether it's belief in a higher power, whether it's connection to a, a group that's more powerful than me on my own, whether it's, you know, some type of, of catapulting experience that just shifts my awareness to a level that it's never been before, you know, some type of impetus that really changes my psychology is, is important. So true. And you can find that life spark, uh, in, in all of the programs I've, I've had meanwhile experiences where, where I spoke to, to people who are very, uh, engrossed in one, program, a program that I did not even know about. An example would be Stefan Neff. Now, I'm Stefan Neff, I know, thank you. Yeah, thanks for the reminder. <laughs> There's another Stefan Neff on my channel uh, who happens to be an alcoholic and happens to be an alcoholic who is actually uh, a beautiful, beautiful soul who uh, believes in smart recovery and who has been on my channel twice here. So great, check that out. So if you, whilst, whilst obviously Dylan, you and I, we are 12-step we are based and, and that program helped us made sense for us and it, it gave us a stepwise approach through it there are other approaches and so it is it is really a matter of looking around and there might be deep ingrained beliefs in your own right in your own life that prevents one or the other um at the example always is the the uh, someone who has had very bad experiences with religion and now the 12-step program uh, comes with the word God. Um, yeah, that's typically, uh, that's it. No, no. Which is bullshit because there's so many uh, secular 12-step uh, programs. I mean, in the fact that the one that I went through, yeah, there was not really, we didn't really pray. We, well, we did pray. We said the serenity prayer, but this is not really a prayer in the traditional sense towards God. It is more a solidarity, it's community. Mm -hmm. It is us before every um, before every meal, we were coming together, hugging, big circle hug, and we said the, the serenity prayer. This was community. This was us giving each other strength. That was us accepting that we as a group are stronger than the individuals and that we together can do it. So therefore, this is so beautiful. So if there's anyone out there who thinks, oh, no, 12 step, no way, can't stand God. Well, I don't believe in God. Uh, so please. And the other thing I want to say is, is please remember that uh, God in AA means a God of your understanding. That means if you are believing uh, in Islam, a God of your understanding, Hindu, God of your understanding, seek. I don't care which religion you think about, a God of your understanding. Okay. So the 12 steps work. And please don't get hung up by your perception or your thoughts about religion. That would be a distractant that is not necessary for you in your process. 
might take a bit. Yeah, to I'd, I'd, add, uh, I'd add one thing to that. You know, this is, you don't need to know everything right now, right? So mm. this is an exploration. It isn't, you don't have to know what your ideas about God are or aren't mm. to, to go to a 12 step meeting, right? Or, you know, you can go to a smart meeting, whatever meeting you choose. But if, if 12 steps is something you're interested in, mm. you don't necessarily have to know what that's going to look like for you right now, right? You can, you can choose along the way and decide what that looks like for you. Beautifully said, beautifully said. It is expose yourself. See, you know, it's, I often compare it with dating. Do you really think that the first person you date will be your soulmate for the rest of your life? I don't think so. Um, so do you really think the first, the first choice that comes into your, into your realm with regards to recovery will be, yeah, that's it? Oh, it might not be. In my case, it was. It was love at first sight, actually, as it so happened. But trust that program uh, because it made sense to me. It made sense because it was, it was like dealing with a failed business. Imagine that you are out there, you have got a friend, and both of you, let's say, own restaurants. Now, your restaurant is humming and buzzing, and everyone loves to come to you. And in his restaurant, there are some tumbleweeds rolling through, and the odd cicada. Um, so, and he might come one day to you and might say, look, Stefan, what the hell? How do you do that? And so what would you do? You would probably go across to him and, and you know, just sit down and, and, and order a few items from the menu, look around, what's the decor, how do people behave, etc. And then you would probably look behind the scenes and see what he's doing. And then once you have done that inventory, once you have done had, had a good look around, then he might actually say, hmm, okay, I think there are some things that we can change. Some menu items go. They are not no longer useful to you. Some other menu items, they are really nice. Let's strengthen them and let's let's go more down that route. Uh, let's give the whole bit of a, a, a lick of paint here. Then the restaurant owner might say, okay, we do a new reopening, so to speak. We uh, celebrate that there is a new menu and we get in touch with our customers and say, look, Guys, we have we've lost a little bit our 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 spark. Come back to us, and uh, in order to 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 say sorry, maybe for for not such a great experience the last time, we give you thirty percent off or free drinks or something like that. And then suddenly the restaurant gets better, and uh, things are are getting better. So now probably the new owner or the, or the, your friend might very well do a, a maintenance program and we'll look at quality assurance, make sure that they're heading in the right way. And chances are down the line, this guy might again be as successful as you. And he might say, wow, that was such a cool journey. I actually create a coffee round for, for restaurateurs who are in trouble. I, I create a group where we all can come together and where I can share my lessons. That would be quite a logical thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. The whole journey. Yeah, definitely. What I've just described yeah. is a 12-step program. Okay? That's exactly. From the word go, he, the, the owner accepted that enough was enough, and he could not do it alone, and he needed help. He came to you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Every single step that, that is in the 12-step program had just occurred with you and your friend in the restaurant. 
okay? There was not a yeah. single God anywhere involved. That was a failed business, how you would help. And in my case, failed business, that was my life. So I actually, once I clicked onto that, and I thought, that's actually pretty cool shit. So here you go. So 12 well, steps. Okay, start again. One question I would ask you, Stefan, is where did the faith come from for you to do that process? Was it was it pain oriented? Was it like what was the motivating factor for you to go through the restaurant and you know reassess and get through the tough parts of looking at things? And where did that come from for you? I knew I could not continue like that. The pain was too too great. The pain was so deep in my soul. It was. I, there was only darkness around me and being thrown, being taken out of my bubble and put into a new bubble where I was experienced life, a healthy form of life was an amazing experience. I was a bit like the the deer caught in the, in the headlights of the car, but it was okay. And yes, uh, it was an absolute roller coaster of emotion that month mm-hmm. in rehab, because there there was the week of a bit of resentment and a bit of of no, I no 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 you're all wrong, and then then there was this complete acceptance, and then there was this as I mentioned that kind of uh, the ego I'll beat that I um, I will do it everything now this afternoon. And then it just yeah. it just became that kind of of major major swings and roundabouts coming smaller and down to if you were to extend that line now several months down the line where you get little ripples compared with these tsunami waves of emotions that hit me in the first month. So I knew that my that I was living in a hell. And I wanted that pain to stop. And I think the, the, the breakthrough came probably the first Saturday. Um, so I was now a week in. And the boss of that rehab said, come on, Stefan, we go for a coffee. I want to introduce you to someone. And we drove to, to a nice uh, cafe somewhere. Um, and there was another doctor. A doctor who I had known professionally, we had bit, uh, dealt with the same clientele, so to speak, as pain physicians, and I was gobsmacked. Why? What? Why are we talking? And it turns out that this gentleman equally had his own journey with addiction, uh, a very strong journey, and here he was down the line, years down the line, and happy, healthy, in control. And I thought, wow. Wow, and his honesty and his openness about it, that was so refreshing. This was so beautiful. And these were sort of the breakthroughs, the early breakthroughs that I had when I actually saw that little spark of light coming on in my life. There was not this utter darkness, uh, but rather that, wow, he can do it. And that's the power of connection. That is what what you are all about, uh, Dylan. You and grace, you... you know, grace for me is is part of that too. Yeah. Just having that moment of like, whatever it is that that comes in and and like lights things up, it yeah. just happens, you know. And I'm very grateful for that. Isn't it? 
It's and it's so beautiful. It's it's one of these moments. There are certain moments that I will never forget in my life until I literally I die. There was another moment came when uh, one of my anesthetic technicians traveled up, and that was probably week free or so. Um, so my my hospital had kept it quiet protected my privacy um so i was just gone basically and people covered for me and one of our anesthetic technicians um, a very religious man um who uh always wanted to get me into church and i always said maybe another time because it was so not me (laughs) Um, so uh, i was there on a sunday not much was happening and suddenly the nurse came and said "Uh, you've got a visitor and i said huh my 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 wife is not supposed to come this weekend and she said no it's not your wife there's a man out there and there was my anesthetic tech um and he had driven up three hours to visit me spent 20 half 20 minutes half an hour with me and he opened up and said that the reason that he was religious and that he had found jesus christ was that he was a raving alcoholic who had nearly killed a man uh, uh, because of his anger and in an alcohol-fueled fused, fueled rage. And wow, yeah. it was such a, a, a thing that I had not seen coming. He, he came just to let me know that. He went out of his way to share his pain and his honesty, and he came there to just for, for, to be there for me. And that was something that I, that incredibly humbled me. Uh, It was, it was, yeah, it was. And it's these, these moments of other people opening up that have meant so much for me. And in, in turn, it is now time for me to open up. That is why I have this journal, this, this, this journal, I say, uh, why I have this, uh, this show, why I write my books. I want to open up and I want to show others that this is me. This is me with vomit on my shirt and mm-hmm. in my, that was the, the darkness. I am now a different man and you can do the same. And I think that is, mm-hmm. that is the power, the power of connection, the power of us showing it is possible. The power of us dispelling the myths and telling people that their addiction is lying to them, that their depression, anxiety, their PTSD is, is a bloody liars. There is hope. You are worth something. Yes, you have done maybe not nice things in order to sustain your addiction. You have maybe robbed people. You maybe have stolen money. You maybe have prostituted yourself. We all do awful, awful things when we're addicts that's it that was the past okay right now we can all make a change right now and that is so important there's hope and and dylan you're the classic example you have turned around you've you've done it so guys why the hell can't you this is there is no reason look at dylan and me we are numb nuts we are we are yeah 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 come on if we can do it you guys can 
Man, Dylan. Yeah, well Sorry, said. I got a, got a little bit hot today under the collar. Hey, it's, I do it's apologize. Something to get hot about. It's, it's, it's all good. It's something to get passionate about. And I appreciate that enthusiasm. We need oh, we need more of that because uh, what what else are we looking forward to? You know, it's like people look around at us and we're not excited about our life and recovery. What do they have to look forward to? To say, to say, I like yeah. that. I like yeah. that a lot. Oh, Dylan. Man, uh, where are you nowadays? Where are you? You're out there. Obviously, you're coming here to my show. You're, you're joining me in your openness and in your humility and in your in your in your in the beauty the the beauty of of sensations that you. Ah, I'm lacking the words now. <laughs> so, who are beauty, you nowadays? <laughs> who are you nowadays? And and who will you be? Uh, what is your path? What what do you want to do? So in the process of now of building a speaking career and similar to you with the podcast, getting some of these ideas out there, the way that I'm doing that is through speaking and offering presentations, using my own stories and some of the, the experiences that I've had mm -hmm. to provide those experiences for others. Things like self-expression and mindfulness and you know things like this to really uh, give people a good time in recovery and give them some some more purpose and meaning for why that why that can be a heroic journey you know and so i work also work with a company out, out in michigan called feinberg consulting it's a really good company we offer recovery coaching case management interventions and you know so it's, it's a really really good place to work and they share a lot of the same passion that we're talking about here stefan and uh, you know, who knows where my life will bring me next, but I'm excited and it's good to be here with you today. And I appreciate you having me on. Mm. And uh, what are your social media handles? How can people find you? So Dylan Lundgren, yeah, I believe it'll, Stefan will have it spelled out, but you can just search dylanlundgren.com or you can, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook, uh, pretty active on there or LinkedIn, any of those, any of those you can uh, find me on so Dylan Lundgren D Y L A N L U N D G R E N. Have a look down there in the description of the video and the description of the podcast. Uh, the social hand, uh, the social media handles are in there, so it's easy for you to get there. But before you okay. click onto his website, just do that little detour, that beautiful detour towards the subscribe button. And whilst you're there, Subscribe, that, guys, yes. <laughs> whilst you whilst you're there, make that mental note. Hey, this was a really good interview. I got a lot out of it. Maybe tell others. Uh, maybe tell others because you will be amazed. One of the things that always amazes me is when I give a talk, and for example, if I do a grand round talk in a hospital or something like that, it, when we talk about addiction, there it's it's quite packed. And typically not many people say much. And then inevitably someone who I had no clue about, no inkling about says, look, I'm really grateful that you talked about that because of my husband or because of my own story, because of etc." Meaning there are so many people out there who are affected by addiction, who are, who are alcoholics and who are struggling, who have got mental health problems and who are struggling. And by us speaking out and by you speaking out, by you saying, hey, I listened to that great talk there. The, these guys really got their shit together. Uh, maybe you throw a lifeline to someone that you didn't even know was about to, 
to drown. So therefore, let's make, let's demystify addiction, let's demystify mental health, and let's go out there and talk openly about it and, and have a coffee with people. And suddenly you might feel, wow, okay, lives are changing. How cool is that? Definitely. Mm. Definitely. And that's really what this is about. Not just, uh, not just us having a conversation, right? But this is really about being able to share this information in a way mm. where it spreads out and impacts other people. You know, so your loved ones that might be struggling, you might be struggling. This is really about getting this out in a way that that those people who are struggling hear the message and feel hope and, and support. Brilliant. Dylan, I'm so grateful that you that you joined me today. This was a really cool yeah. talk, uh, a cool. Um, uh, it was it actually brought back a lot of memories for me. And as with every, with, with every show I do, um, I, it's, I learn a lot. I refresh my mind about certain things and it brings home, it allows me to hone in because our own path meanders, our own path strays a little bit off. There will be, you're never 100% true. So even if there's the smallest thing, it, you know, if you catch it early, yeah. you, can, you can correct your course. And that's what every day gives every day gives me the opportunity to to reevaluate where I want to go. And your interview today allowed me to to do that as far as my own addiction uh, is concerned. And for that, I'm very grateful. I do awesome. have to say that's cool. Dylan, thank you so much. And you guys out there, I believe in you. I, I know you can do it. I know you can change because the past does not equal the future. And I know I believe in you guys. Stay strong and look after yourself. Bye. I guess. <laughs> Dream on.